let's see, maybe, hopefully, <laughs> electricity, we're connected to servers, here comes some intro music, and some wonderful poetry, and stirring oration, with a powerful message. Oh, for a voice like thunder, and a tongue to drown the throat of when the senses are shaken and the soul is driven to madness, who can stand? When the souls of the oppressed fight in the troubled air that rages, who can stand? When the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God and the frowns of his countenance drive the nations together, who can stand? When sin claps his broad wings over the battle and sails rejoicing in a flood of death, when souls are torn to everlasting fire and fiends of hell rejoice upon the strain, oh, who can stand? Oh, who hath caused this? Oh, who can answer at the throne of God? The kings and the nobles of the land have done it. Hear it not, heaven, thy ministers have done it. You betcha. I'll tell you who they are. They're the ones that were behind the indictment of a former president. And they're all scurrying. Uh, interesting times, folks. Interesting times. Here we go on the Friday edition. That means Brent should be with us. I hope he is. With all the confusion going on on my end this morning, it's hard to tell. Uh, so I thought we were not going to have a show today at another electric electricity burp there and thank you lord we came back on before the show or else brent you're gonna have to do the whole thing yourself so uh anyway that's uh the uh the roll up to uh our intro today on august the 4th uh, of course rogers stokes sales stokes really is my middle name and brent allen winners and allen really is his middle name so uh, I don't know if you know what the play on that is, Brent, or not. Uh, we call our get-together the Radio Ranch, and uh, the guy that keeps up with all the platforms we're on is a guy named Paul that's right here. I know he's there. If he's, not chasing oh, his, yeah. he's not chasing his kitty around somewhere trying to put cedar juice on her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I put that on her, and she avoids me for like two or three days. <laughs> so That'll teach you. We are on... Eurofolkradio.com. We're also mirror streaming on radio.globalvoiceradio.net. I really need to update that website and actually put a live radio link right on the site so you don't have to do the radio part. We're also on homenetwork.tv. We're on freedomnation.tv. And at times we are on Anthony Berry 8625 tiktok channel that's eight six two five and uh rumble 1776 er the websites where you can find a lot of the information that's talked about of course is uh roger's website sovereign to surf.com you can also find a lot of information on expose the matrix.com and please be sure and check Brent Winter's website, CommonLawyer.com. There you go, Paul. You got, you, it, you got it in at the first. There you go. We're on multitudes of platforms waiting for multitudes of people to want to be free. <laughs> well, well, I'm, 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 I'm feeling, 
I'm like, I'm getting a little on in age now and just, you know, <laughs> twisting Brent's arm just to promote himself. Like every time it, it's threatening to dislocate my, my shoulder your or something arm. like well, that. And you're it, lucky you got a wand. So. Um, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I, and I have settled on what it is. Brent is a, uh, he's a national treasure and he is also a very humble individual. I so, assume. uh, he will self promote kicking and screaming because you really have to drag him to the, drag him to the mic to do it. So good morning, Brent. Glad to have you, Brent, as always. Oh, well, I'm of course glad to be here and, and I want everybody to know that I didn't pay anybody to say what was just said. <laughs> and that, and that, that comes down to my credibility. Do you believe me? I mean, why would you believe me when I say that? It's the truth. And I don't know whether, I don't know whether people, uh, do something for nothing or not, Roger? Do they sometimes? Sometimes, not? yeah. We need to find okay. out where that echo and somebody's cackling back there over our conversation a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. No, Brent and I both come on and give our time uh, to try and further the uh, advancement of humanity and mankind in our country, I guess. That's a concise way to put it, Brent. Um, well, neither Roger, you, you and I aren't being paid to do this either. No, that's what I said. We don't, you know. Oh, I didn't catch how. Nah, no. Yeah, I get some. Clear. I get a few book proceeds every now and then, and somebody wants to do a private consultation occasionally. And otherwise than that, I just don't. I'm not comfortable charging people for this information, quite frankly, because I'm not in it for any kind of monetary reason. Uh, I'm in it strictly to affect change as best I can. Okay, you know, Brent. It's interesting because I've been messing with this for so many years, and have delusions of grandeur. Like the when I got on Joyce Riley years ago with her huge audience there in the morning, that it, this thing would take off like wildfire. You know, I thought, well, man, couple of couple of slots over there, and we'll be on our way. Well. That's not quite the way it happened, you know, and I've had to come to some realizations on this myself. I, in the early days, Brent, I'd be in Atlanta, I'd be driving down the expressway or something, and I'd look over on the other side with those four lanes of traffic coming the opposite direction. I go, man, if I could just get to those people and show them what's going on, we can turn this thing around. You know, well, all we got to do is get in front of some judge and show him what's going on and we'll just change this. Well, it don't work that way, folks, as many of you are finding out yourself personally. So uh, that's one of the harder things I've had to uh, deal with is and, and, you know, I beat my head against the wall, got frustrated and all that stuff for a lot, a lot of years. And then I kindly uh, analyzed it and reanalyzed it and came to the. You know, this isn't my doing when this thing breaks. It's the big guy's doing, okay? So when the door's ready to open, he's going to open it, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do until then, okay? So that's uh, the way that I've accepted it. You know, the old the old anonymous poem, Brent, uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And uh, when you apply that those wonderful words of wisdom you can get a little bit better perspective you know um before we launch off we had uh, one of our louisiana boys and you know i'm particularly akin to those louisiana boys down there um about uh, the gold market 
and so we've we've got a new guy. Baron's got who was our new guy? Is uh, I'm I'm sure you Sean was it? Yes, sir, Sean. Hey, Sean. Uh, well, listen. Let's yep. uh, let's launch into your question here because it's very pertinent, uh, uh, timely too. By the way, and Sean was inquiring about the gold market and how they manipulate the gold market. Okay, and the silver market, and more than likely a whole bunch of other markets too. If there's one thing I've found about these guys and realized is whenever they got something that works, they do it over and over and over and over again. And in the end analysis, that's somewhat of an Achilles heel for them because it makes them predictable. Okay, So here's what they've been doing in the gold and the silver market for years. And, of course, they don't want gold and silver rising because that's the canary in the coal mine. And then people want to get out of their fiat currency and get into something solid. So they do their best to keep those prices suppressed. And they've been doing it for Lord knows how long. Okay, really. But, uh, Sean, do you know anything about stocks? Do you know, do you know about shell, selling short? A little bit. A little bit. I don't understand short selling very well. Well, I, but don't I do either. know a little bit about the market. Okay, well, I don't know too. I don't know it very well either, but I do know a little bit about it. And, you know, when you're in the stock market, you can either gamble long or gamble short. And gamble long is you're going to buy it at $10 and it's going to end up at $50. Buying short, you're betting it's going to go, it's going to go down. Okay. So you're betting against the advancement of the market. All right. Now, in the rules, in the strict rules, the way I understand those, to be able to sell short, you've got to have somebody give you the stock that you're going to short. Okay. Now here's where that's the, where I get confused about selling short. <laughs> well, well, me too. But let's just—you don't need to totally understand that. You just need to understand that that they're not doing it that way. Okay. So the rules say you got to hold the stock before you can short it. Okay. And so what they've done with their manipulation and control of these agencies, the SEC, etc., is they let these guys sell short without having the stock. Okay, so they'll wait and go in. There's a 30-minute window when there's no activity in those markets, and it's the middle of the Pacific time when the when the Asian markets aren't open and the U.S. markets are closed. And there's a 30-minute window right there. And what they'll do is they'll take, let's say, a half a, a year's gold production in that 30 minutes and dump it on the market. And there's no activity, so it drives the price down. So that's the game they're playing. Okay? Is that a question, Roger? Is that called arbitrage trading when they do it within that 30-minute window? Well, arbitrage trading is anytime you're trying to play one against another. And, you know, the Rothschilds were the first one that pioneered that way before we got any kind of electrical communication like we have today and they would actually take their money and move it from one time zone to the to the next time zone before the time zone kicked in and get the interest on those two time zones and that's arbitrage understand okay okay 
So that's the game they're playing, and and particularly right now, and that's a good topic, and Brent's into gold. I mean, he started this whole shooting match of life as a gold miner, okay? So he knows a little bit about this, too. And uh, right now, you got some real converging forces. Brent, did you know that the uh, uh, the credit rating dropped uh, day before yesterday for bonds? No, what happened? The two standard and pours, and uh, I can't remember the other one right off the top. The two real big rating agencies lowered the bond rating from AAA to AA. That's a big deal. They're fixing to put out a what did they say a trillion dollars worth of bonds. What's the? We'll talk about it, Roger. Well, well, you, here's the forces at play. Okay, yeah. right now, or if not right now, in the next. This month, all of the new BRICS countries are meeting in South Africa. And the BRICS countries now total over 140 countries in the world that want to get off the dollar and they're sick and tired of the way this thing's being run at usurious interest. Okay. And so what they're doing is getting together and setting up. The BRICS system's been. Oh, it's been, they've been working on it for over 10 years. Okay. And, and what they're going to do is they're going to have an international currency that's gold backed. Okay. And then the countries that participate, that's a settlement currency between countries. Okay. That's gold backed. But each country will have its own currency that's backed on whatever commodities it produces on a one-to-one ratio. No more unjust weights and measures. And the countries that deal in the settlement currency, the gold-backed currency, my stomach's acting up here, the gold-backed currency can take their currency over to the Shanghai Gold Exchange and exchange it for gold. Now that's that's that is coming to uh, a, a real concerted organization this month in South Africa. Also, Saudi Arabia just joined the BRICS, which is a death knell for the petrodollar, as well as Iran this past week. So the big players are all getting into a group that's going to have an international settlement currency that's based on gold. Back to the country on a one-to-one basis on whatever commodities they produce, tied to that with no unjust weights and measures and finagling. So that's coming. And now with them, uh, you know, do you realize that 60% of the currency the country has ever issued was issued in the last three years. That's why you're experiencing the inflation up there, okay? And that's why the bonds were downgraded. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I've heard that. But I can't bring myself to trust that anybody who's involved in trying to manipulate markets, and that's what BRICS doing, anybody involved in that would be on the up and up and uh, and um, be do- doing anything but watch for themselves because if gold and, and silver, of course, are not in possession and used as the medium of exchange, nothing else will work. And that's what our Constitution requires. Our Constitution requires gold and silver in hand, no paper, no gold-backed currency, None of that. 
And if they do that, then I say that I would bet that um, the banksters have got it figured out, or if they aren't the ones doing it themselves, how they're going to get control of it. Because the opportunity for fraud and deceit is over the top once things go to paper. There's no limit. I agree. And that's what that's what we're experiencing well, now. Some of the good signs are Macron tried to uh, attend the BRICS meeting, and they wouldn't let him. They denied uh-huh. his attendance. So th- there are good signs on the horizon, you know, about this. Don't know well, how it's going to turn out. China's in the middle of it, but yet the China, China's kind of turned on these guys in a large sense, too. You know, in the last few years, one of the main crux points was China changing their one-child policy, which they've had for decades, is the reason they've got a lot of those problems over there, 10 men to every woman, okay, out in the country. And the Chinese know very well that's a real good formula for revolution, okay? So they upped their – and they're realizing that with the one-child policy, they're not producing enough workers to fulfill this sweatshop of the world role that they've evidently been assigned, okay? So they went in and changed the one-child policy to a three-child policy, and that's what PO'd Soros. That's when they got into an international P and match, okay? So there's some interesting forces that I know we don't understand behind the scenes, but the surface is that it looks like we got something that's much more solid going against uh, uh, an incredibly rigged user system we'll see how it turns out but it's just one more thing of backing these guys in the corner a little bit now interesting for the audience gold and silver watch silver silver leads gold okay there's an old saying on wall street i heard years ago brent and it says gold climbs a wall of worry Isn't that Uh interesting? Gold climbs a wall of worry. Well, the Uh silver market is much smaller than the gold market. And the silver market, they're not going to use gold as a conductor. They're going to use silver. Okay? Uh So now you get into all these electronics with all this silver components in motherboards and all kinds of stuff that they use it for and their big concern is that silver is going to spike because of its uh, uh, its commercial uses and so when these big companies like these cell phone companies and others that use this they buy silver on the futures market in bulk okay and the concern is that these guys are going to see a silver shortage that's going to hamper their manufacturing activities and they're going to go in there and start buying up loads of silver and drive silver and gold up uh-huh well one of the problems with silver it it's an industrial metal obviously but we as a, a race of men have not been the habit of always preserving the silver we mine after it's put to an industrial use. Now, the gold, we've been more persnickety about that, and I know some men have made fortunes recovering silver from industrial uses. For example, I met a fellow one time back in the 80s who had made a fortune taking x-ray Yep. um, You remember that guy? Oh, no, I don't remember the guy, but I know what you're talking about. Well, the hospitals were throwing all these x-ray Away. photos. In the he went around and started gathering them up and, and uh, learned how to extract the silver from them 
and he made a fortune because they didn't want them. And uh, but gold hasn't suffered that so much. And as is said, all the gold ever mined from the beginning of the world to date, it, we still have. So our gold reserves just keep building, no question. We'll probably start keep building our silver reserves. And the other thing, America is apparently a little bit worried about is the rare earth minerals because oh. China, China now is for the to our to our electronic world. China now uh, exports almost all rare earth minerals. Ninety eight percent. Ninety eight percent. And it used to be that we were, I think, uh, not too many years ago, we were at thirty eight or thirty three percent in exports, and we were thirty eight, and the rest of the world, uh, Australia and those places, then South America had a part in it. So it's not that we don't have them; it's that we've become dependent. So what? What the push now? Apparently, there's a a movement afoot in America to produce rare earth minerals and to produce steel. And I know that two of the largest steel production plants ever built in the world are being put online as I speak. And one of them is on the Ohio River near Brandenburg, Kentucky. I've seen it; it's massive. And the other one is in um, North Carolina being built by the same outfit. So the steel producing industry is moving from the traditional uh, Great Lake region, as it's been in America since the beginning, to other places. And the rare earth minerals are being pushed to go back into production, which is a good thing, I suppose. It's not that we don't have these things. We've I went to Walmart. No, it wasn't very many years ago, Roger. And little, it's a. They say it's the the smallest uh, super Walmart in the world, and there are thousands of them. This one's the smallest. I know where it is. It's not far from where I live. And I went in, and they had signs all over the place saying "Made in America." We only sell made in America. Sure. On and on. Well, now, of course, it's just the opposite. They only sell stuff from China. Right. And they're not, they've got some of the largest <laughs> merchant vessels ever built in the history of mankind going back and forth to China to keep those Walmarts over there going. Of course, I assume now that the reason that China's picking up so much manufacturing is because Walmart and other going concerns don't want to uh, produce the stuff here and ship it over there. They want to produce it there. All these developments are, are important. Well, one thing I noticed also, Roger, to bring up one other point. Okay. I remember when Nixon first went to China, before Nixon yeah. went to China. Well, China was like, to go to China was like going to Mars. Nobody right. ever went to China. Right. Because we didn't trade with China. Nobody traded with China. They were uh, the, the, the other side of the world, and, and Nixon went to china and uh, he met with all the big shots and that was the beginning i was in 72 wasn't right. it? remember who went before him who's that kissinger oh yeah kissinger is all set up and sean was asking about arbitrage a minute ago what we're talking about right here is arbitrage too, but it's arbitrage of labor. They're taking the the overpaid people in the U.S. with all the union influence and whatnot, and they're shipping it over where they can pay these people a dollar a day. That's arbitrage. Well, yeah, I get your point. And uh, I remember people saying at that time, 
when they were starting this arbitrage that, uh, well, it's a good thing Nixon went over there because, and here was the phrase, I recall, they said 800 million people, 800 million Chinamen don't just dry up and blow away. They're going to get bigger and they're not going away. They're the elephant in the room in, in the world. So let's uh, see what we can do with them. So then we heard they had this one child policy. I want you to know up front, Roger, I don't believe it. I believe that was all a lie for political purposes. Why do I say that? Well, number one, you can't take 800 million people and limit them to one child unless you go into a massive baby murdering campaign, which they did. But those baby murdering campaigns never work in the history of mankind. You can go right back to the Bible. The Egyptians tried it on the Israelites. It didn't work there either. Herod tried it when he tried to murder all the babies two years old and under, you know, around Bethlehem during the birth of Christ, trying to make sure the Messiah got rid of. On and on we go. Oh, a lot of people get killed. But the other side of it is one thing you can't stop people from doing is engaging in sexual activity with the opposite sex. And when you do that, when people do that, um, they're going to be babies. I was watching the other day, Roger, to get right down to the ground, down on the farm here. I was watching old Billy the other day. Billy. Billy Clinton? No, the goat. Oh. And Billy was going crazy. Aren't those the same? (laughs) Aren't those the same? Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Billy was about to lose it, and he wouldn't leave old Sweet Pea alone. Well, Sweet Pea, she's the one that was raised up with a bottle. So, Sweet Pea, you can walk right up to her and grab her by the horns and pet her on the side, and and just she's just personable, you know. Well, all of a sudden, one day, Billy went crazy, and she wouldn't. He wouldn't leave Sweet Pea alone, and. I was over, I was watching the whole thing. It was fascinating. So he'd come up to Sweet Pea and, and he'd be making funny noises like Billy Goats do and Sweet Pea would walk away and then he'd follow her and walk away. Well, it got so bad that we could tell, you know, goats need to eat every day. Well, Sweet Pea wasn't getting anything to eat because she just kept walking away and he <laughs> kept following her. And I watched, he didn't eat all day long, Roger, not one night. And you know, goats, like other animals, uh, that men domesticate, they only do two things and that's all they ever do. They eat. And of course they chew their cud, but they eat and they make babies. That's all they do. That all of their time, 24 hours a day is spent doing that or, or sleeping. And well, Billy was going so crazy. We had to make sure that sweet pea had enough to eat. So she was running loose on the range, so to speak with the others. So we, uh, pinned up Billy in the fold. Well, then the racket started and Billy wouldn't shut up. And he had so much energy pent up inside of him. Any other animal that got near him, he'd try to run over him. And, uh, I'm just telling that story to say that, uh, men are the same way. Um, they're going to make, well, here's the proof of it before hold your thought and then i'll finish roger here's the proof that china never that one child policy bit was baloney because from that time when there were 800 million people in china now there are a billion and a half right and one child policy shrinks the population do the math it's easy well Uh, well, i'm sorry i'm chomping at the bit to add this in there 
Uh, the influence in China was a lot cultural. And the cultural impact from China is that they want male children. And what was, and what was the real impetus here that allowed whatever happened to happen over there is a little gadget called ambiosynthesis. I think that's what they call it, isn't it? When you can go to the pregnant mother and see with the sonic thing what the sex is. And they abort, they abort the female children. That, that was a lot of it. Oh, well, they sure got a lot of people over there, but the one child policy, and I'd talked to people that li- had lived there that came here and went to school with some of my boys and they said that that wasn't happening and they're trying, they try to reward people, you know, right. Incentive. You know, people in China, I, yeah, go ahead, Roger. Uh, incentivize, uh, so back when I first got into this in the early nineties, there was a lot of flare up about China. And there was a, a, and I don't remember what state he was from. He was a representative up there, Shays. I think he was from Connecticut, maybe. And Shays was from Washington. Uh, state, oh, he was a state rep. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, go anyway, I, I just remember, and I even hate to bring it up because it's repulsive, quite frankly. But uh-huh. he had pictures from China where they had fetuses, and they were uh-huh. putting them in soup. Well, no, that doesn't surprise me a bit. Um, that's how evil men are. You know, Roger, I was, you, that, that includes all of us, by the way, the, the potential is there. If you don't, if you don't have Jesus Christ controlling your life through his spirit, uh, you won't love your neighbor. You'll try to eat him. That's the way it works. And there is no exceptions to that rule. And it will come to that in time. You just got to give it a little time. It's either eat your neighbor or love your neighbor. Well, um, I was, uh, what was I going to tell you? I got on this eating your neighbor thing, and then I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's such oh. a repulsive thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's what it was. Oh, here's what it was. So I went back and been reviewing Paul Tillich. Now, a lot of people never heard of Paul Tillich, but Paul Tillich is buried is buried in a Dutch community up in, uh, in Indiana. But he was born in, uh, in uh, the Prussian area. And I don't know the boundaries change, but he, some people say he was a, what we call Prussian stock and he went to school. He grew up. His father was a Lutheran pastor and Paul became a Lutheran pastor. But in Europe, when you go to school to do things like this, oh, by the way, see the first speaker of the house of representatives of the United States was a, a Lutheran and he was educated in a Lutheran seminary in uh, Europe as well. And, the reason I bring that up, a Mühlen, his name is Muhlenberg. He was quite a fellow. But um, the reason I bring that up is because in Europe, when you go to school, they have a different system of education. And uh, that, that goes to their seminaries as the foundation in the Protestant areas. By the way, that was the result of the Thirty Years' War, where Rome tried to conquer all of Europe militarily and destroy the Reformation. Thirty years, they slaughtered people all over Europe. And if it wasn't for a Swede, what was that fellow's name? You know, some of those people up in Scandinavian areas, they have names that resemble the line, one of the lines on an eye chart in a doctor's right, right, right. <laughs> I can't pronounce their name. But this guy was quite a character, and, and uh, Rome was just going like gangbusters. They came north. This was, see, at the Reformation had really taken hold all over Europe, and, and Rome said, well— We've tried everything, so we're just going to go out and slaughter people till they change. So they headed north, and it, for 30 years, that war raged all over Europe. 
and of course, hundreds of thousands of people slaughtered, lost their homes, and and this Swede uh, gathered an army in Sweden, and and he started coming south, and he said, "I'll stop this this whole mess." Well, he did. He stopped it all. He's very well revered in Europe because of what he did, but um, he ended up. What happened was that they finally settled the Thirty Years' War at a place called Westphalia. Oh yeah, that's when the Westphalian Agreement came out came around, yeah, right? They call it the Peace of Westphalia, and what it essentially happened was um, the northern areas of Europe uh, remained Protestant, and you have to learn where the boundaries are, and the, then it kind of feathers off into the southern areas, and that was um, Rome retained control and still retains control, and. Um, uh, there was a time when all of Europe was going that way. You know, they were Protestant. I mean, even France, they had to slaughter a lot of people there to stop that. But it came down, they tried to do it without slaughter. And that's what the evil empire always does. It will try all the deceit in the world, every every persuasion. They'll try to buy you off. They'll try everything. But there does come a point where the only thing that is left is slaughter. And they will do it. Why? Because the flesh, without the Spirit of God, can't do anything else. Uh, all they can do is kill and steal and destroy. Remember, think of yourself, my dear friend. Think of yourself. You have only have two options. Either you will do what the, your bodily flesh tells you to do out of its what it's learned in its life, or you will do what the gumption breath, the person of the gumption breath of God tells you to do. And if you don't have the person of the gumption breath in your body, you have no choice but to do what your flesh tells you to do. Yep. The flesh is flesh, said Jesus Christ, and the spirit is spirit. There are two things here going. You'll do one or the other. Now, the man that doesn't have the spirit of God, the gumption breath of God in him, he has no choice. He will. Does he have free will? Well, well it's not that free. He's got will. And he will do what his flesh tells him to do, period. And the man that has the spirit of God, he has a choice. He has a greater choice. He has a freer will. Oh, everybody's will is limited by a lot of things, but his is freer, as the Bible says, Jesus Christ said, he who the Son makes free is truly free. Well, that's what it was in Europe at that time, and that goes to you too. And you'll either eat your neighbor if you go by the flesh, or you'll, if you go by the Spirit, you'll love. You have the, well, God will drive you. He will impel you if he lives inside of your body. And that's what he says he does to the Christian man and woman. And he will impel you to love your neighbor. But what is love of your neighbor? That's the other question that is seldom ever answered. I like to say, and I had a fellow tell me the other day, well, I asked him what he ought to do. And he said, I ought to do right. I said, well, that's one of them Sunday school answers. It works in Sunday school when you're a kid. But uh, what kid knows what right is and what, what person knows what love is? Uh, hardly anybody knows what it is because it's not simply uh, it's not simply sought out in the Bible. And the love of God has nothing to do with the way you feel about the other fellow. It has nothing to do with your affections. It has nothing to do with natural affection, which is a good thing. And the Bible talks about that. But the love of God is quite something different. It's the love of. That's ablative of source, as we say. That means it's a love from ablative of source. It's in the ablative or the genitive case, and it means from God. The love of God is the love from God, and it only comes from God, and no man has it of himself, and it only he only he only experiences it if the Spirit of God lives in him, because the Spirit of God, the 
deity of the Spirit of God is the one that gives it to the man. He lives it in him. So the love of God is this, that we do what he tells us to do. That means that we follow his law because the will of the sovereign is law. And and we have a new heart at the new birth and we desire to do what he wants us to do. So the spirit of God then lives in us and then he impels us. That's the best word, impel. That's a good word. Impels us to do what he wants us to do. Some, and we can go, we can go along willingly in our bore. We can uh, be forced. Now, if God has to force you like a rebellious child, uh, uh, which is what you would be in such a case, to do what he wants you to do, he'll do it. And it will not be a pleasant experience. He'll put a hurting on you that you, you well, just like if, when, uh, if your dad or your mother put a whooping on you and took you to the woodshed, it was an unpleasant experience. But without that, you would have absolutely no discipline at all from your parents. Discipline brings a disciplined life, and that's what God promised us, promises to do to his people. That means he's going to take you through hardship. It's not going to be easy. That means the Christian life is a life of discipline. You talk about, what was the name of that? bunch of that bunch of sodomite greeks that thought they were so disciplined spartans Spartans. they were just a bunch of sodomites oh they had discipline the problem was i was talking to the same fellow yesterday he was a family member about um what men do in paganism this was is without the spirit of god what do men do without the spirit of god in every culture they if give them enough time in their culture they will do the same thing what will they do they will say, I've got to get rid of the sin and guilt that is plaguing me. And they, they're crazier than loons. They don't have the spirit of God. So what they end up doing is, this is fascinating. It's true all over the world, every culture. They end up saying, the only way I'm going to get rid of this sin is to get a woman and abuse her. That's mm. what they say. Now, now watch this. This is fascinating. Whether you go to ancient Greece to the temple there of Artemis, or you go to ancient Babylonian culture, or go to ancient Canaanitish culture, or go to ancient Aztec court culture, or South American culture, or the ancient temples of the Far East, what do men do? Well, they get they make a business out of it, and they appoint what they call temple hookers, temple prostitutes. The Bible talks about them in the Older Testament and Newer Testament. And men say, I can purify myself and get rid of my guilt and my evil by abusing a temple prostitute. And then they pay them. And, of course, the temple priests get the cut. They're the pimps. They pay them, and they, in their religion, the religion always comes to this, abusing a woman then frees me of guilt. And so they do that sexually. And then when those women get that they use as temple prostitutes, get so full of filth in their minds, this is what they say, that woman is so full of filth, now she's always, oh, she started when she was 16 or 15, now she's 25, we don't want her anymore anyway, or she's 35, and so they would take them and sacrifice them or otherwise kill them. Now the Aztecs, or whoever it was there near what is today Mexico City, they took them and threw them in a lake that I believe is still there. I've never been there. The lake has anciently been called Lake Texacoco. Texacoco. Same root Spanish word as Texas. But that doesn't mean there's a connection to evil with Texas. I'm just make, making the point. The name of the lake was Texacoco. And they just threw the bodies of the temple 
hookers, the temple prostitutes out in there. Well, that's what the Spartans did too. The Spartans said, well, uh, to cohabit with a woman is, uh, uh, the only reason we need women is to get rid of our evil. And we have to be pure warriors, pure warriors, or we will uh, not be able to win in battle. So we will be sodomites. Uh, as long as we're sodomites, we don't uh, pollute ourselves. See, they got to thinking, well, these temple prostitutes, they're filthy. So if we engage in sexual activity with them, we might get some of that filth uh, into us. We don't want that. So we want to be pure warriors. See how stupid, how crazy, how confused the life without the spirit of God is. There is no limit to the evil. Well, Paul Tillich, this fellow that's buried up there in Indiana in that Dutch community, I believe it is. uh, He was a Prussian. He ended up coming here as a professor. Now in Europe, they have a different view of education, and I've always had, and that's why we say, of course, a lot of things are spawned in Britain. A lot of crazy stuff is spawned in Britain, but it's developed in the universities and seminaries of Europe. So now we got all these dead Germans that wrote books, and they're dictating to us what we ought to think. You know, like, uh, well, you can name off all the dead Germans, everybody from Immanuel Kant, uh, what was that other fellow's name? Uh, he was a sex pervert himself, uh, a Jewish fella, Freud? Uh, Freud, 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 Freud. Yeah. Well, he was German Jewish fellow, but they all came out of Germany and they went to the Germany's Germany universities, academies and seminaries. Now in these universities and academies and seminaries in Germany, and then they bring you know, the, the highfalutin schools in America. I want to bring those guys over here because they're, t- they're top drawer, buddy. They, they know their stuff. Is it true? Oh yeah. They know their stuff. I mean, don't forget. When man, when, when man, when our grandpa Adam, when he fell into depravity, and of course all of his descendants, us being extensions of his body and his his person, genetically, uh, we felt we were conceived in depravity. We were not conceived as a blank innocent slate. That's what the Bible says. Now you can argue with that, and you can see all the problems with it. I'm just telling you what the book says. Now I try to major on what the book says clearly. And and ambiguously, I don't want to be like the Mormon that goes to a passage like baptism for the dead and and, uh, stand the whole Bible like a giant pyramid on top of that verse and say that controls everything. You talk about stupid. That's stupid. But that's what they do. I don't want to do that. I want to major on things I know for sure. And one thing I know for sure from the Bible, the calculus of the evidence is clear that man is not born in depravity. Oh, he's born in depravity, but it's worse than that. He is conceived. In total depravity. That means in the flesh. There is no spirit of God in him when he's conceived. Therefore, he can only do what his flesh tells him to do. So then he, Tillich was looking around. And of course, he got into that German education system where they, oh, they educate them beyond their intelligence. These guys are good. The mind of man did not fall in the fall, you see. Everything else fell. Doesn't mean a man can't think straight. Uh, his problem is he's got the wrong premise and he'll always come to the wrong conclusion, do things for the wrong reason. And he'll never do things for the glory of his maker in the flesh. That's not even possible that he could do that. He's conceived in sin. He stays that way until God does something called the new birth. Well, Tillich, he was influenced by the education system there where they separate men out that seem to want to be live in their live up in their heads all the time. And they just beat them to death and they never give them quizzes or tests. They just educate them and uh, they go to lectures and you're supposed to write down everything that uh, the man lectures to you. And at the end of it all, however many months or years it is, you have one massive examination. 
And the teachers there are trained to flunk almost everybody. Everybody. And you, they get beat you down to you're nothing but a puddle of mud with a couple of eyeballs sticking out. And then they try to resurrect you into new, a life that they want you to have and a brain they want you to have. Now, that's a good method of hardcore education if you got the right point of view. And God does that. But they don't. But they had Tillich all wound up and bound up, and he didn't know what he was thinking. or He, he had all the wrong ideas, and he, he thought that, that uh, evil was something that men could overcome by themselves, etc. Well, he finally, in Germany, after what happened in Germany, he, he couldn't believe, as he got older, he began to be more and more sensitive to the idea that evil is just, it's just worse than I thought it was. Roger, if there's anything that I can testify to from life's experiences is that uh, as I've gotten older, and as a Christian man, as I've gotten older, I see more clearly how evil, how much evil there is, not, not in the world. The world itself is not evil. Men are evil. But there's more evil in men than any group of men could possibly produce. That's what Tillich, I, I've come to that conclusion too. And Tillich, finally, he was writing and saying otherwise, very popular guest speaker. He was invited to come and teach at Harvard. That's how he got to the U.S. But Tillich finally said, no, 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 there's no way. I don't care how many billions of men there are in the world. There is no way that men could produce this much evil. There has to be an outside source being funneled in. Well, that's true too. Mm-hmm. Of course, we see that right in the beginning. Why didn't he pay attention to that foundational narrative of the Bible? There was the serpent. There was the serpent in the garden. And that was the fly in the ointment that started uh, the match that started a, a forest fire that hasn't quit and has only grown bigger. That's what we face, friends. And so this fellow said to me, he said, well, that's the things you're talking about, Brent, are only true in war. And I said, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are at war. We're in war right and, now. Yeah, and you know, we have you know what we Darryl, have always been at war, Roger. Go ahead. Our buddy Daryl came on one day with one of his Darylisms, you know. Yeah, and he goes, We're in a war and the weapons are words. Yeah, yeah. Well no, I, I get it, and I, I agree with him. Uh, God is fighting. Well, who was it said? I don't know who it was, but he was famous because it stuck. Um, the pen is more powerful than the sword. The pen is more powerful than the sword. And that is our weapon is the words that God has superintended the pinning of. Have you ever and thought about this? Right, you're the Bible guy. God spoke the world into existence. Well, I'm, I'm sure he didn't bring it into existence with a mantra and a hum. So if he spoke it into existence, he had to use words, didn't he? That's well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says he spoke it into existence. But, of course, it, in, in saying that, the New Testament, just observing what happened in the Old Testament, because that rec- the record of him doing that uh, is in the Old Testament, and it's clear as crystal. I mean, he puts it right up front that, he speaks, and when he speaks, when God speaks, things happen. Martin Luther once said, I'm not a Lutheran, I have to say, when I quote Martin Luther, I always want to add, I am not a Lutheran. And the reason I'm not a Lutheran is doctrinal, but it's not that I'm against Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a man that 
God used mightily in a lot of ways. And his, his, um, not everything he said was right, but much of what he said has been hijacked and perverted in the Lutheran church, of course, uh, fundamentally. But Luther, um, once made the point just to speak of words. He said, when the words of God come impacted the eardrum of Mary, the teenage virgin girl, conception occurred in her womb. When the words of God impacted, when the words of God impacted the eardrum of Mary, because he spoke to her, we have the record of it, conception occurred in the in her womb of the Messiah of God. And he was making the point with that, God created, not God created, God, his workmanship happened because he spoke the words. There was a centurion in the gospel records. That's a commander of a hundred legion, legion, legion members of the Roman legion. He was a centurion, an officer, and he came to Jesus Christ and he said, come to my home. Why? I've got a servant girl that's dying. And you, no, he didn't say come to my home. I've got that wrong. Let me get this right. He said, I want you to heal the girl. And this was different than everybody else that said come. And and Jesus Christ said, um, well, if uh, he said, if you will, It'll happen. And then he said, the centurion said, you don't even need to come to my home. Just speak the words. And then he said this. He explained himself. He said, I am a man that has authority under me. I say to men, go, and they go. And I say to another man, do this, and he does. And then he said, I have men over me that tell me, to do this or that, and I do it. So he said, on the basis of that, you speak. I speak, men do what I tell them to do. I command, I govern by words. And he said, I know you do the same thing, but you are God Almighty in human flesh, and anything you say happens. And so if you just speak the word, that's all I'm asking of you. So what was Jesus, and of course he did, what was Jesus Christ's response to what that centurion, that non-Israelite, centurion, very possibly a member of the Italian band, of which the book of Acts speaks. We don't know, but there was an Italian band that was made up specifically of Italians, a special crack group of men. But he said, he said to the rest of the people around there, Jesus Christ said, no greater faith have I ever seen among Israel. In other words, with Israelite men. No greater faith. Well, when I read that years ago and really began to contemplate it, I said, well, what is the difference here? What's the difference? The difference is that Roman centurion understood authority and how it flows and understood that authority is expressed in words. And men that have authority govern by words. And then he took that which he knew, and he transferred it by analogy to God himself. How many men have I met who demand authority in their own families? Or, 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 no, I'm sorry. How many men have I met 
who understand that principle of authority because they were in the Navy or the Army or the Marine Corps, and they cannot and do not make the connection in their own families and their own lives. God wants us to make that connection and say, uh, point out that man, uh, God governs with words, and he made man out of his holy imagination, his image, out of his mind, made us the way we look because he imagined us, and he made us like him in that sense. He gives authority to us. He governs by words. He tells us what to do, and he tells us to do the same. And when we speak here, and if we're speaking the truth, we're transferring that authority and the effects of these words to anyone who hears them. And everyone who hears any truth that we speak that is God's truth, I won't say everything I say is, but uh, work at it. If we speak God's truth and it hits your ears, it will do one of two things. The Bible says it never returns void. His words never return empty without making a return of what they have done. And in every case, God's words do what God commands they do. They will be effective. They will either hasten you to hell or they will hasten you to heaven, to put it in simple words. They'll either hasten you to total doom and destruction by condemnation, or it will hasten you on your way to a brighter and brighter day. That's the, that's the effect of God's governance using words. And that's why we focus, I'd like to focus on what God said. Can we get any more powerful of a of an effect than to do that? But the other interesting, oh, no, no, more than interesting, the other indispensably curious thing about God's words is it carries not only authority, but God's word carries power. And there's a difference. The two often go together. You know, a man can have authority, but not have the power to see through that authority. I have authority using the words of God. I do not have the power. Who has the power? God has the power. I deliver the word. If I deliver the word of God or you deliver the word of God to somebody else, do I have any power to force anybody to accept what God says? No, none, but God does. And he puts the power in his word. It's not me. It's not me doing it. Now, I can, um, if I were a military man or a military officer and I spoke words, that's authority. But in that context, the military man also has the power, the power to force the doing of his words. That's true. A father in that context, if he has a child who is um, three years old, he has the power to force the child into obedience if he has the gumption and the will to do it. But that changes, as you know. The child will increase in power, and he will decrease as he gets older, until the child will be stronger than him. And when the child gets that way, then he's uh, it's in God's hands at that point. Same thing is true with all of us. But uh, the use of words is how we govern. Back to you, Roger. Um, in the in in the words of the great Rush Limbaugh. 
words mean things. <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to revisit Westphalia for a minute, if we yeah. could. I don't have a. I've never gone back and studied a lot. I've just kind of gathered some things from what I've been exposed to over the years. Uh-huh. And I never even heard about the Westphalian Agreement until a few years ago. Honestly, I'm ashamed uh-huh. to say. But this Westphalian Agreement, my understanding was this was the agreement that started putting countries into a country form instead of fiefdoms. Oh, that's true, and that's why most that's try and that's why most people don't uh, know much about the 30 years war. Maybe somebody's heard of it. They don't know anything about it. And they don't know about the peace of Westphalia that has dictated to us. The idea we have today of nations yes. that are territorially bound in a territorially and, bound. Uh-huh, go ahead. And the point I wanted to get to through that, and I want to make sure I was right was this is what spurned Vettel's law of nations to govern the new nations. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it essentially divided the world at that time into Protestant and uh, Babylonian districts. As again, uh, Southern Europe, uh, Babylonian. What do I mean when I say that? I mean controlled by the law of the city. Mm-hmm. And the law of the land was Northern Europe. That's our common law. And, of course, that was in flux at that time and changed See, Luther Martin, well, Saxony, Martin Luther was from Saxony, and he is the match that started the forest fire called the Reformation. The Reformation was the greatest movement of Christianity since the writing of the New Testament. The Reformation reintroduced introduced the manuscripts in the original tongues of the of the New Testament into Europe. They didn't have them. And all this happened at the same time. And when it all happened, it it was the match. And Erasmus, a Roman priest in the Netherlands, published published in printing for the first time the the, uh, Greek New Testament, not because he wanted to promote that. He wanted to promote that he was smarter and a better student of Latin than was Jerome. Jerome had translated at the behest of Pope Innocent, uh, about 400 A.D., he translated the Bible into Latin. And uh, that's called uh, the Vulgate. That's that, called the Vulgate, right? The Latin Vulgate, which is now the official, the final word in the official Bible uh, of the of the Roman Babylonian system. Uh, Eastern, well, no, in the Eastern Church, see, the final word is the Greek, uh, the Orthodox Church. But it's just, it's very confusing. But just to make it simple on this one point and to fix on what happened at Westphalia again, the Protestant Reformation went like wildfire across all of Europe. It, it went across France. It went across all of Northern Europe, down into uh, Austria and Bohemia and on down into Italy. And at first, when it first happened, uh, who was it famously said, uh, the, he was the Pope at the time of, uh, the Council of Trent, that was a fascinating boondoggle. But he, he said, well, boys, he said, we got it. Let's enjoy it. Got what? Well, we got the Pope done. We're in office now, and, and all those who supported me, let's just enjoy it. And they thought it was going to be an easy day. They're powerful. They control all of Europe and all of the wealth of the world at that time. Everybody else was a fourth and fifth world country. And they said, well, we got it. Then they said, well, but 
there's this thing going on up in Germany. He said, oh, don't worry about that. He said, they'll handle that locally. Uh, we're too powerful to fail. Nobody's going to get us. Well, what happened with Luther, what, what the Pope didn't take into consideration was that the spirit of God is the power he had to deal with, not a not a wild boar hog in the vineyard up in Saxon. That's what he, <laughs> so they called Martin Luther. Well, there's a wild boar hog loose in the vineyard. Let's just, <laughs> let's just shoot him and forget it. You know. Well, it didn't work that way. So you never know. See what God's going to do. The spirit of God has power and authority. He has it both, and it just kept going and going and going, and finally they said, whoa, they couldn't stop it. And so St. Bartholomew's Day in, in France slaughtered about 30,000 Protestants It was because Protestantism, well, people were attracted to it. They said, hey, we've got the manuscripts of the New Testament. It's clear as crystal that what Rome is telling us is a damnable lie. The Bible doesn't say that. And all the universities started teaching it. Well, I mean, within two years of those manuscripts arriving after the fall of Constantinople, they arrived in France. Within two years, they were teaching at the university at Orleans. They were teaching Greek. Well, that had never been done before. And they said, wow, we can read the Bible. The scholars were saying, we can read the Bible, which were the priests, see. We We can learn more particularly what the Bible says because what Erasmus did, he put the Greek, um, New Testament on the right-hand side, I believe it was, and he put the Latin Vulgate on, no, 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 his translation from the Greek into the Latin on the other side, and then he commended and dedicated the whole thing to the Pope with an effort to show the Pope that he could make a better translation into Latin than uh, Jerome did from the Greek. That was the idea. Well, he didn't realize that what was <laughs> people were going to take that and say, hey, wait, we've got the Greek New Testament. We're going to really check this stuff out. And so they got to studying it, and they got to coming up with what they, what they saw it was saying, and Luther was one of them. And it overtook all of Europe. And then Rome said, whoa, we thought this was small. And they said, uh, we've tried everything. We've taken people to trial. We've hung people. We've drowned people. We've burned hundreds of thousands at the stake. We've, we've tried, and nothing's stopping this. And now people are publishing the Bible in their native tongues from the Greek New Testament. They were doing it in England. They burned quite a few people there and killed quite a few. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary um, burned approximately 300 at the stake, and many of them were Bible translators. King James, King James's mother, by the way. Yeah, well, now let's see. Now, no, no. Now you're thinking of the other Mary. Oh, Mary Queen uh, of Scots. Yeah, you're man. <laughs> oh, there's a piece of work. <laughs> but uh, this was now. This let me think back. This what this Bloody Mary was Henry the Eighth's oh, daughter. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, because Henry the Eighth had married. Uh, they called her the Spanish Pig, and <laughs> she, it was an arranged marriage because she was a Spaniard. And her name was Catherine. No, no, no. Yeah, of yeah, Argonne. That was it. I think that was it. Wait, anyway, she was Spanish. And so she would no, know she was hardcore Roman, Roman Catholic. That's what the deal was. And, uh, and uh, uh, he ended up, he didn't, he got, uh, he was chasing skirts all the time. And there were a lot of cute ones around. So he wanted another gal and wanted to get rid of this one. Well, the one he got from Spain kept saying her womb was hard as a brick. She couldn't have a baby. Well, she didn't have a baby. Well, she finally had one, but it wasn't a boy. Well, they didn't like that, you know. 
See, see the sex perversion to to prefer to prefer boys over girls. That's not right either. See that we need as many girls. We got boys, fellas. Let's get this straight. And it's nice to have boys, of course. But God likes girls too. And and by the way, what man doesn't like girls? If he's got any sense about him, well, um, we we don't want to diminish their importance in the least. But coming back to the point, he got, wanted to get rid of her, and so he said, "Well, the, the marriage wasn't legal anyway." And and this is how God used evil, uses evil to promote the Bible. So he was hunting one time. You know, he'd just go to other people's land, hunt all he wanted. And, of course, when he was around, people kiss his can and and uh, act like uh, they loved him when they didn't. They did. And if somebody had a, a mansion or a manse or a, oh, a, um, a manor close by, they'd invite him, invite him in for dinner or supper. Well, he expected that. And he was at this one rich man's house. And this rich man had a tutor there, tutor and his children, who was a very educated young priest. And they got to talking about his problem married to this uh, Spanish woman. And uh, what is he going to do? And he was written, he had written letters to Rome and tried to get the Pope to annul the marriage and all that. And finally, this one, this one, this young priest sitting there said, well, why don't you, instead of, I'm going to the priest in the Roman church to justify your divorce. Why don't you just go to the Bible and see what it says and have your, your men here at Oxford examine the Bible and uh, get your answer from the Bible. Well, that really struck a note with him. He's, and that man that said that then became an important member of uh, Henry VIII's staff for being such a clever fellow. And that man ended up writing the Book of Common Prayer, and that man was the man behind the Protestant Reformation. He was very politic. You know, the 39 articles of the Anglican Church, Roger, the Anglican Church's uh, fundamental polity, they call it, is the 39 articles. And the Anglican Church still has them. And those 39 articles are as Calvinistic as you can get. Yeah. What I mean to say is predestination, the eternal election of the saints, and, and the damnation of the damned, and and uh, God's sovereignty uh, is, which is Luther, Luther too. Luther, Lutheranism has scuttled Luther. Luther, well, we should say it this way: Calvin was a Lutheran. He followed the the writings of Martin Luther that pointed out in the Bible the utter sovereignty of God. And the bondage of the will of man in the flesh. He's bound. He can't choose what is ultimately right. And his book, the great book he wrote about that, is called Bondage of the Will. Well, Calvin picked that up. He said, I can see that in the Bible. Well, of course, Luther was an Augustinian monk, and what he was doing was was echoing Augustine, the bishop of the church in Hippo, North Af- Africa, in the Roman Empire, about 400 A.D., he was echoing Augustine. So they get, to, <laughs> they get to the Council of Trent. You know, see the, the, the reformers, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and, and, uh, Switzerland and Knox and, and, uh, uh Scotland, Scotland, all these fellows, they, they didn't want, they weren't trying to break from the Roman church. They thought, like you, Roger, you thought you'd get on the air on the, on the radio, and you'd point out the simplicity of the truth of what you were saying, and everybody would accept it. I mean, who, why why can't you see it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Luther, he just nailed up his 95 thesis and said, oh, I don't want to change anything. I just want to discuss these matters. He was into the whole 
let's have a debate. Let's have a discussion thing, which men are like when they're young. I'm see, like me, Roger, I don't know about you. I'm beyond that. I'll tell you what the truth is. You can take it or leave it. That's, God, that's exactly now. where I am. Exactly where I am, Brent. And that is the right place to be because men govern with words and we are to tell people the truth of what God said. If they don't want to hear it, well, get away from them. Go tell somebody else. That's what the Bible says to do. But it takes us decades uh, to come to the realization that we do not have the power to change the minds of others. That's God's work. And uh, I watch young men now. I, I know a lot of young men. They're that way. I've had young men come to me and try to beat me half to death almost. I mean, right on the verge. The only next step was fisticuffs, you know. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's just such a relief to know that I'm speaking to the cubic foot air in front of my face, and that's all I'm responsible for. I've just and, come uh, I've come to the conclusion over doing this for so long that – you know the the message has got to carry this. I, I'm not going to influence. I'm a I'm just a teacher and show you things. It's the yeah. message that's got to catch and go like wildfire through the people. And at the right time, it will. As I, I said, and I believe that. And I believe that, Brent. I believe that. Yeah, the time and the man have to come together. In the meantime, we just talk. See, Erasmus thought he was doing one thing, and God took it and did something that he did not agree with and died mad about. He didn't like that the Bible got out, but he's the one that did it. God used him whether he liked it or not, and he'll do the same thing to you. So you may as well go along peaceably. But <laughs> but, but they got Luther and them, and they finally realized, hey, this is a war. We're not going to – they're not going to – he thought he'd just show them, well, here's what the Bible says. We all claim we believe the Bible. Here's what it says. Let's, uh, well, then the war was on. They slaughtered hundreds of thousands of people. And then they, then they had the Council of Trent. They said, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we need to invite everybody to it and come to a conclusion. They said, are you kidding? They said it's below the dignity of the Pope of Rome to debate anybody, anything with anybody. He speaks the dogma. And they obey or we kill them. That's pretty much the, was the still the attitude of Rome where they can get away with it, of course. That's Babylonian. That's the law of the city. That's the code of Justinian. That's the way it works. So they said, we're not going to debate this. When the, the Pope has authority to speak, he's not going to debate it with anybody. So they didn't invite any of the reformers to the Council of Trent. The idea there was to just say what they wanted to say, and that was the end of it. If you don't agree, we're coming after you. So so that, what do you do when you have a big council? By the way, the Council of Trent lasted 17 years. Oh. It took a, oh, yeah. It took a number of years just to plan it and get it going. And then after they all got there, it was 17 years. People think this is small stuff. No, they wanted to hammer this out, but they wanted to defeat uh, Protestantism. So they had this Council of Trent 17 years. And they, what do you do when you have a council? Well, you know, you appoint a committee, right? And you say, okay. And they, they appointed a committee of men. And they said, why don't you go over here and we want you to study this question on freedom of the will. Uh, does God elect men? Are they predestined, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Because that's really like Martin Luther said with Erasmus. They went back and forth uh, in public writing against each other. And uh, Erasmus identified and Luther commended him for identifying the hinge upon which the door of truth of Christianity turned as relates to man's relationship with God. And what Luther said it turned on was the, the bondage of a man's will. He cannot even choose Jesus Christ until God implants in him through the new birth and makes a new creature with a new desire. Then he will choose and he will. 
because his, his desire is changed. As one Barnhouse used to say, God wiggles the willer. <laughs> he wiggles the willer and the connection is made and you can hear the signal and you will respond to it. Uh, that's called irresistible grace, uh, according to re, uh, the Bible. Uh, but coming back to what happened at Westphalia, or not Westphalia, Trent. So, <laughs> so they appointed this committee and they said, oh, okay, yeah, we'll go study this out. So they went and studied it out. And they came back and they said, well, here's what here's what the truth is. Uh, election is true. Uh, predestination is true. And they, all the reformed doctrines they put out there. And uh, they, they said, well, where'd you get that? Oh, we got it out of the Bible. Well, we can't do that. That's what they're saying. That you go back and get this straight, what our doctrine is. So they, they sent them back, and they, of course, they end up redoing it according to political correctness. And that's what the Council of Trent was. Is this when, they, the Council, when they put the books of the Bible in at the Council of Trent? No, that never in the history of what people call the church, whether it's the Babylonian uh, Roman church or any other church, has anybody ever said this or the these are the books of the Bible. It didn't happen, it didn't happen in Trent, and it didn't happen at the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Constantine, the Council of Louisville. It didn't happen in any of the great councils. Um, popular, Brent, you're, you're, you're clipping a little bit. I don't know if you're moving around or we just got a weak spot oh. in the packets, but I know everybody wants to hear what you got to say uh, without – any distraction, so maybe if we wait just a second, that'll straighten up. Well, I appreciate it. There it is. Yeah. You're better. Real important, and those kind of things happen. Don't tell me we're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're laughing, but I really think there's a greater evil than men that are that is involved in a lot of things. Of course, I don't think it. I know it. The Bible says it. But coming back to the Council of Trent, so uh, uh, they said go back and and fix this. And people don't stop to consider, why do I say such things? Because at the council, oh, I was saying never in the history of the church or what have people have been called the church, the Roman church or any other church as anybody in the Roman, uh, is in the, from the very beginning, the early councils of the second, third and fourth century, nobody ever said, these are the books of the Bible and these aren't. No official statement has ever been made about what the books of the Bible are. And that is a false a false narrative that is put out by people who want to question the Bible, want to infuse doubt about it and destroy it. Uh, it never happened. And why didn't it happen? Because it wasn't necessary. You know, things aren't, things aren't declared and fought about until they're, until they're lost. And people at that time, everybody, just by a common consensus throughout Christendom, the Bible, the books of the Bible were clear. You say, well, what about the, the uh, apocryphal books, how they get in there? Well, they got in there because Rome insisted upon them. There was a time when they added those, but there was never a time they declared these books are and these books are not. But it was always through uh, just uh, uh, indirect action that that happened. And the King James translators put those in the Bible too, the apocryphal books. The reformers came along and said, no, um, uh, these are clearly not a part of the Bible, but they accepted the Bible as is, as had always been accepted in all of Christendom. But getting back to Trent, people say, well, why do you make these points? Because they're true, and the lies are continually being told. And at the Council of Trent, when they finally got the committee to 
the committee to come back and be politically correct. Uh, they they pronounced the, the the Council of Trent has pronounced me cursed to hell forever. And if you don't believe, if you believe the Bible, uh, you're cursed to hell forever too by the Council of Trent. But then the question comes: Does the Roman priesthood have authority or power to send anybody to hell? They say they do. That's the very doctrine of Romanism. When they speak the words, Roger, they'll either curse you to hell or send. When the Pope speaks and when the the Roman priesthood speaks, they've sent me to hell. Uh, So I'm not their friends. Uh, They have not reverted back to truth. They have not withdrawn those statements of the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent is their official proclamation of dogma. So, no, they're liars. And to profess that you have the authority, power to relegate another man to hell is blasphemous beyond blasphemous. It is taking the place of God. It is the very definition of Antichrist. Right. To say you stand in the place of Jesus Christ, that he has given you all authority. That's what the Roman priesthood claims. You all authority to uh, do all things that are to be done on land. That's what they say. So it's an important part of our history as Americans to understand what happened in Europe during that time. Now, the peace of Westphalia, because of war. What is war? War is a religious activity in every case, no exceptions. And I know there are people out there saying, I don't agree. Well, I'm not here to make you agree. I'm just telling you the facts. Well, I think you're wrong. Well, that's all right with me, I suppose. You're wrong. I'll say it point blank, and I've got authority back it up, and I doubt if you have very much. No, war is God's business, and he works war to his will. God is tough. He gives life, and he takes life, and he works in mysterious ways that we can't understand, and he does it all for the same reason, to glorify himself. And we are his creatures. And let's don't mess around, friends. Let's just get in his the circle of his obedience and go along peaceably and quit playing games. So recognize his absolute and utter sovereignty, and then life becomes joyful in a way you can never describe to another person. And if the desire of your heart is to do his will, follow his law, you've got something bigger than yourself to live for. That's the only way life is worth living. Well, the peace of Westphalia was about, it was warfare down here on land for the truth of the Bible. And ultimately what happened was the people uh, in certain parts of Europe uh, had free reign and freedom to to follow the Bible without fear of being murdered. And in the rest of uh, Europe, they did not. But without that war, without that war, there wouldn't have been any in Europe, any people that had freedom to translate and to believe the Bible. Was the war worth it? Uh, that's not our decision to make. Um, God is a God of all things, Roger, of war. The true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, he is a God of war. Islam says, no, no, our God is the God of war. No, you're just, you just got a piece of him, and, you nev- and the Islam never mentions the love of God. And that's not in any of their books or writings. It means nothing to them. Islam is a religion. As a matter of fact, the word Islam means obedience. It's militaristic. It's martial. Do or die. That's it. 
Our God is a do-or-die God too, though, but what he has, he's got it all. He's the God of war, and he's also the God of ultimate love and compassion. They don't have that. Why? Because they're idolatrous and a false religion. Rome is the same way. What does Rome do? Well, Rome and Judaism, they don't say God is a God of war. They say God is a God of peace and love, and they effeminize it entirely. It's all Mother Church, right? Mother Church, Mother City, Mother God. That's uh, I mean, a I mean, look at the look well, at the Jews. They get their hereditament through the mother maternal side. Yeah. You'd mentioned that too, and that's all. That's true. All that's true. But uh, the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the oil besmeared man. That God is everything. He's not the God of this or the God of that only. He's not the God of the land or the God of the patron saint of this or divide that. He is God. He is utterly and absolutely sovereign, and he's the only one worthy of worship. And that's the message of the Bible. But uh, Rome and does this and Islam does that. Why is it to so many, well, people gravitate to the, you go to the churches. What have you got? Do you have a God of war in your churches, a God of war? No. Well, what's the Bible call him? Well, the Bible calls him the Yehovah of Sabaoth, uh, translated the Lord of hosts. Well, what does that mean? That means the Lord of armies, the Lord of armies. He is a God of war, and that's why he provides rules and laws in his law, in his, in his law about how to wage war and what the limits of man's authority are in waging war. All of these things are in the Bible. They're all there, and then they're played out in the laws of nature, our common law. We can see them, we can observe them, we can read them, and it's by words that we communicate these, these things, and it makes life very, very much worthwhile to have that desire. That's the word I pass along to you. And if there's any of you out there in whom God has effectuated the new birth, and if any of you have been born from above, then and you have received a certain level of maturity, you will grow. You can't stop growth. And you hear my words, the light will come on if you have been born from above. And you'll say, oh, well, that's what I would desire. Yeah. Why? Because you've been given your new creature with a new heart. That's why we speak the truth. We're sowing seeds. We don't know what the good ground is, what the where the man or woman born from above is or not born from above. We sow the seeds and if it lands on the good ground and isn't choked out because the ground is that good, the perseverance of the saints is there. That who, who, are the, who are the elect? The Bible says the elect are those who persevere to the end. That's the only way we can know for sure and finally who God chose from before the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible says. I can't explain all of it. I do, I do know what it says. I'll tell you that much if I know it. If I don't, I'll say, well, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody personally that knows the Bible like you do, Brent. Well, that's an encouraging word to me. But, of course, I'm constantly. Well, let me put it, let me put it this way. Um, every person listening to me that is born of the spirit of the gumption breath of God uh, will know God's word. He'll see to it. He's a perfect father. He will discipline you to what he wants you to know. 
He will catechize you, whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not, it's going to happen. And when he gets hold of you, that's what's going to happen. Well, David said, now he was born from above. In the Old Testament, just like the New, God's method and his law never changes. His way of doing things doesn't change. David was born from above. He struggled with the flesh. We all know the stories, fascinating story of the life of David. Never, ever defeated in military encounter. Never. King David of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the songwriter, the warrior, the shepherd, the gentle one who took care of the sheep as a boy, Never defeated a military encounter. You know what finally defeated him and got him down? And he never got over it because he followed his flesh one time. And by following his flesh, he he coveted, lied, stole, committed adultery, and murdered another man. And God said, you did it. And he prayed to God in his confession, Psalm 51, oh God, do not take away from me the joy of my salvation. Now, he didn't say, do not take away from me my salvation. Why? Because his salvation, like yours, your, your destiny, your ultimate destiny is fixed. Your ultimate safety. You, you, he won't take that away from you. Why? Because you're his son and daughter or daughter. And you can't change that. And he's not going to change it either. He's your father. Just like you can't change your father down here on land. Your father's your father. That's the end of it. You ain't going to change it. And he ain't going to change it. He can disown you. He can disinherit you. But he can't you, He can't change that. Neither can you. And God's not going to change it. Your eternal destiny is fixed. David said, I do not take away from me the joy of my salvation. But you can lose the joy of your salvation, my friend. Even though you know. Your eternal destiny, you can forfeit your joy to varying degrees. And every one of us that are born from above has done that. And if you haven't, you will. And that's why it's imperative that you keep things cleaned up, keep your sin confessed as he shows it to you. Get up every morning and confess. If anything comes to mind, confess because it will increase your confidence. Confession is good for the soul. It's the gift that keeps on giving guilt is the gift that keeps on giving because it shows you what God wants you to confess. Guilt is to your soul. Like pain is to your body. If you didn't have it, you wouldn't live long. You need pain. It's the feed. No, it's the feed. It's the feedback loop. That's right. Thank God for it. So when you're guilt, what's the problem? Confess. If, if we are the ones that are confessing, it's the sign of your forgiveness that you confess. My friends, all of your sins are forgiven. Confession doesn't produce forgiveness. It is the result that all of your sins have been forgiven. And that's what then restores the joy. Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy. Not restore unto me my salvation. You didn't lose it. You just feel like you did. It's the joy. How do you know you don't lose it? Not because you always feel that way, because you've got your walking papers, friends. It says so in the book. And God's word is true, and it does its job. That's why you need its encouragement. Well, that's what will exactly. make you powerful. 
Uh, somebody oh. said something. Well, that was Paul, and he's probably wanting you to give your information, but I've got something I wanted to explore a little bit too more topical and timely on today. Go ahead, Paul. Yep. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, how Brent's arm is doing. And I'm not, I'm not twisting it too hard, am I? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, I thought a while ago you were saying all those nice things about me. <laughs> uh, so I, not like, are you not paid to do it? Uh, I, I don't know how much money a guy would have to give somebody to say those kind of things. And I appreciate it. It's encouraging to me. I do want people to listen to me because I want to say what God says and uh, I've said a lot and I'm saying a lot. I'm on the radio every day. Uh, I'm on the radio. You can go to uh, the website, commonlawyer.com. That's www.commonlawyer.com. And by the way, those people that join with me, if you say, well, Brent's saying something that's worthwhile. I want to be a partner with him. He's got a mouth. I, I take my books, um, Paul and Roger, uh, some of my books. And if a preacher that I hear, I think he's working hard. Uh, he convinces me by listening to he's working hard at trying to say what the Bible says. I can think of one fellow. Um, I was debated recently. We disagree at a fundamental point, but I, I believe the man's sincere. And I send him books and I say, look, you know what our differences are. But if, if I can feed you information, you have a greater, you have a better hearing than me. You have a bigger audience than me. I want you to have resources. If I've found anything out that you can use, here it is. I can think of two men I've done that with recently. Uh, here's what I've discovered. Maybe there's something there you could use. So I, I do want to get the word out. That is my job. If somebody says, listen to Brent, well, I'm all for that, and I appreciate it. But join with me because it's a, a, an effort to get out the word. That's what it is. To get out the word, and that glorifies God, and it brings peace of mind to us to do what God tells us to do. Go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com. You can see where I'm on the radio five days a week. You can listen. Uh, you can also see where we're teaching classes. Right now we're teaching a law class, Magna Carta. Commonlawyer.com tells you how to join that class. Uh, uh, Magna Carta, clause by clause and blow by blow. We started out uh, going to make 12 presentations or up to presentation number 31. <laughs> the best, the best plans. Yeah. I want to get it in 60 presentations. Uh, I've taught a lot of classes before. I've taught a class on common law evidence, a class on, uh, a common law trust, a class on how to draft a common law trust. I taught a class on, uh, common law of contracts, and then common law due process. And they were all, some of them were longer, but I decided I wanted to limit them 12 weeks. I couldn't do it on this one. Uh, it's too important. So there are about 63 uh, headings in Magna Carta. I'm looking at 60, projecting about 63, 60, 63 weeks. <clears throat> and, uh, well, there's that. You can join that. And that supports us, by the way. And if you can help us, Get the word out. As I get older, I'm practicing law less and teaching more because for a lot of reasons, I don't hear as clearly as I used to. And in the courtroom, if you haven't got all your antennae up and hearing every whisper that's made, you're in a dangerous environment. So, well, that's just one thing. My hearing's pretty good, but I just noticed that. Uh, and here's another problem. 
and it's not the men, it's women, women in the courtroom, uh, their voices are softer. And my ears don't pick up the soft voice of all women. That's true. Not, not the way I do men. And that caused a problem too. At any rate, I'm teaching more. And so uh, you support, support us. Uh, buy, or per, not buy, purchase is the better word. If you get uh, our book, for example, uh, Excellence of the Common Law, Comparative Law Text, uh, Comparing and Contrasting the Law of the Land, our common law, with the law of the city, the canon civil laws of the Roman Empire and the Roman Church. Uh, on every continent and every age, from the founding of the city of Babylon 4,200 years ago, forward. That's a law text. And then you can also obtain there a common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues, the Greek of the Newer Testament and the, the Hebrew of the Older Testament and the Aramaic translating. Uh, I call it the good book uncooked uh, toward a, tra- a raw translation of the Bible. You can get that. Uh, over 35,000 footnotes explaining why I translate the way I do in many cases and, and explaining a lot of other things. 165 appendices tracing major themes throughout the warp and the woof of the text of the context of that translation of the Bible. You can get it in hard copy. We're up to five volumes. It's in five volumes of each volume, around 700 pages apiece. You can get that. Um, and you can get it in electronic form, which is... Uh, well, you can do word searches in electronic right. form. Right. Yeah. And then also, uh, we have other books, uh, our, Const- our Declaration of 76 and Constitution of the United States, Clause by Clause and Blow by Blow. Um, that's a book you can get, uh, Common Lawyer Comments, uh, Common Lawyer Comments Concerning Our uh, Right to Remain Silent, Its History and Uses. Uh, that's a book you can get. Another book, uh, The Militia. Uh, the four militia clauses of our Constitution, you can get that book. Uh, there are only four, and it describes very well what the militia is. Three of them are ignored entirely, have been for decades. The fourth one is the a Second Amendment, we call it. Oh, I, I just got a message says no five volumes yet. Well, that is true. It's not in the <laughs> – I've, I've got the five volumes, but I haven't sent them to the to the printer that prints them. So – and they aren't in electronic form, but the, so the electronic form still going out in four volumes, but they got so big we couldn't print them. So I went to five volumes, the reason. So the next, I'm soon to have, oh, it's going to be a while, I guess. I, I do new additions as I make improvements and make changes. But uh, then the, the book on the militia of the several states, and in the back of that booklet, I have a model state militia statute that I want the state legislators to use. All of those resources and uh, uh, forthcoming, the book, the sheriff. Oh, we taught a course, a common law course, a sheriff at common law. I taught that with a sheriff from Berry County, Michigan. By the way, who joins me in all my classes? He's been joining me on all of them now. Uh, he's on. He's in my class in Magna Card. It's fascinating. After 20 years of being sheriff in a rural county, the stories he can tell. <laughs> That's why I'll I like bet. to have him I'll bet. Yeah, and uh, and how it relates to what Magna Carta says, uh, everything from due process to admiralty law, uh, we do that. So that's commonlawyer.com, and then also Patriot Soapbox on Saturdays. You can join us there where I'm going through the book, clause by clause, blow by blow, a common lawyer comments, the book of Romans, Paul's epistle, Paul the Apostle's epistle to the Italian Christians, I call it. 
down in Rome, a place he never went, a place Peter never went. The gospel of God, Rome is the most complete unpacking to the limit of what the gospel is, everything about it. We're going through that. Then on Sundays, we're going through the book of Exodus. We went through the book of Genesis, clause by clause, now Exodus. And the subject there is income tax. And Roger, you and I have talked about this. Income tax, slavery is fundamentally a tax on your income. Yep. All slavery takes the labor of one man and says it belongs to another. That's all. And that's what happened in the book of Exodus. We're getting the full orbed picture of what God's got to say about income tax. That's what slavery is and what he does about it and what he will do about it, what he can do about it in relation to his people and how he does it. That's what that's all about. The book of Exodus. Oh, that's commonlawyer.com. Support us. It helps us. We got to keep going. And it takes the mother's milk of, uh, as they say in politics, the mother's milk of politics. It takes money to get Mm -hmm. the word out. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says you'll be blessed if you, Join in with us to do that. Roger, back to you. Well, you know, I'm going to be with you again Sunday. Uh, hold on just a second. Just for the audience and for Brent, too. I'm going to follow you on Sunday because uh, Thumper's off on his uh, exodus to Sturgis, I think. And yeah, yeah. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to take one of the slots, and I I did. Uh, because you've heard me mention before, and I don't know, and maybe this is a question for you. You haven't watched that uh, Eugene Schroeder uh, research video on the war and emergency powers of the trading with the enemy act, right? No, but I read some of it. You sent me information. Well, Somebody you, did. Thought, well, you're going to yeah. get to see it this Sunday if you're if okay. you're able oh, to hang okay. around. Okay. And that's the yeah. reason I took this lot is to play that video because I, I don't think Thumper ever did for the audience. And uh-huh. it's really important and it's really good. Okay, so Sunday, uh, it's an hour and 20 minute video. Some of you here have seen it. Uh, some of you probably haven't. But if you want to see it with good audio, because Paul went back and cleaned up the audio a bit, um, we're going to play that Sunday over on Patriot Soapbox. And you can access that through Brent's website where it says uh, listen and Brent's on two hours before and then I'll follow up with that so that's Sunday somebody was a female wanted to ask something a second ago had something to inject yes good morning it's princess Hi, um, princess. good morning Roger um, I was I wanted to ask Brent I, I purchased the family bible it just says family bible the good book an American common lawyer translates from the original tongues um, but I think there was a, is this the most recent or is or, or, or there, has there been any um, updates or? Oh, there have been updates. I think there were two. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I, I, I work on that every day of my life. It's something that is uh, daily with me. I have an X number of, of verses I, I translate, even if I, I'm, tra- I'm going through the Bible, my translation of the Bible the third time now over wow. the decades. And I'm translating through it the third time. And every time I do it, as I get older, I get wiser. I have more understanding. Right. And I, yeah, you know how it is. If sure. You're, if you're well, all of us are getting older, and we, if we're in, if we're God's man, if we're born from above, the light becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. That's the beauty of being born from above. And by the way, any of you that say, "Well, I don't know if I'm born from above," how do you know? And I want to be. Okay, you want to be. That tells me you are. If you, because you have a new desire, you see, just relax. Now you know 
the journey has started and it ain't going to stop and ain't nothing you can do to stop it either. By the way, you're purchased. And so God's going to move you forward in the path of the justified man or woman. Just, that's what God did. He justified you forensically before the court of, the, of heaven and earth. And what he's going to do now is that he says that your path will become brighter and brighter and brighter until the perfect day. What's the perfect day? Well, that's a translation of a Hebrew word that means high noon. And you know, as you move forward to high noon, the sun does what? The picture is beautiful. The law, he uses the laws of nature. The sun goes slow. It gets, it goes progressively slower as it gets to high noon in the perspective from the perspective of mankind. It starts kind of fast and then it just goes slower and slower and slower until it gets to high noon. And that's what's happening to you. And at first, it goes real fast. And then, but you just, you get more patient as you get older. So it doesn't make any difference. It keeps going. Time becomes shorter as you get older and you get better and better and better. Oh, you may look a little rough on the outside as time goes. I had a neighbor, Roger. We had a neighbor. We used to deliver bulls to her. We were in the bull business and everybody had four or five old cows where I came from, but they didn't want a bull because bulls are hard on fences, hard on barns and hard on gates and all they do is produce a lot of BS, and but they do produce little calves. So they, we, they they lease a bull from us, and it was on the honor system, $5 per calf. And, they, and they'd have to tell us. But this one, she went to church with us. Her name was Bennett, I remember. And she lived down on the old Bennett place. It was halfway, it was halfway between us and Moonshine Store. Moonshine Store was south of us. And uh, she went to church with us. She told my, my mother told me this story. She said she went over there one time. And... Uh, I don't know what happened. She was showing her a quilt she was making or something. And, and, uh, she saw in her room that the chair, she had a, this little table set up and a chair behind it and the mirror that went to the room. Every time mom said, every time I went in that room over the years, the chair just get, kept getting further and further from the mirror. And she said, made a comment about it. And this Mrs. Bennett said, well, when I get up and put on my Sunday, go to meeting clothes to go to church, uh, over the years, I just have to get further and further away from the mirror to see it. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking as pretty as I used to. <laughs> so I want to get further away from the mirror. Um, Brent also wanted. Well, go ahead, that? finish your story. I thought you were finished. Well, my brother said the other day. Said I got up in the morning to shave, and I looked in the mirror, and I said, "Who is that old guy? I don't even recognize." Right. Him. Right. <laughs> well, as things get that way on the outside, just keep in mind. Uh, God says you're getting stronger and better on the inside. The spirit of God is in there working to work in you. I agree with that. Oh, yeah. So, but the Bible, yeah, there's updates. There's updates and I'm working on the next update. Yes. And uh, I've, I've made probably six or eight updates over the years. I don't know, but I've got another one. And my ultimate goal at the outside is to get it done by the end of the year. My, my retranslation. Okay. Cause I, I'm, I try to make it tighter and more accurate while making it tighter. That's what I'm trying to do. And, um, but it's good in all cases. I think it's a good, it's, it's raw. It's raw in a lot of places, but it's good uh, from my perspective. And really, I'm, my target audience in the translation is me. It's not everybody else. I translate it because I teach it. And if you're going to teach the Bible, the more you study it, uh, you have responsibility to study it to the limit of the tools that you're given to do that. And that's why I translate so that I will know what I'm talking about as best I can. And if other people want to take advantage of that, I want them to. 
uh, the notes or the translation itself. Um, you can do that. Well, that's that's the situation. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I wanted to mention to you, Brent, we had uh, some accolades on your uh, common law book the other day from one of our students who purchased it and was uh, gave a a glowing book review, let's say. Well, we need to get that book review uh, on, uh, transcribed on paper, can it, and then I'll use it to promote the book so people will think there's something okay. in it. Well, but, yeah, I've had people say to me, I've had homeschool mothers say to me and fathers with high school educations, I read a section out of that book to my children every day. I don't think, I don't care if they're human, the children are human. Don't think they don't understand what's being said in that book. They do understand and they uh, can hear it. They'll get a lot of it. I have had lawyers, guy ran with the Supreme court of the state of Texas, interviewed me on the radio. He had the book. He wanted to interview me about the book. And he said, good grief. This is over my head. I said to myself, this guy's a lawyer. It's over his head. The high school, homeschool, high school educated, homeschool mother, several of them have said to me, I read that book to my children. I love it. It's simple. I'm telling you, friends, some people are educated beyond their intelligence. Yes. And that's what messes them up. And what they miss is the simplicity. And if something is simple, they, they don't see it. And that's what the Bible is. The light comes on, and the book that I wrote about comparing the law of the land with the law of the city. I'm just going to fundamental principles. I'm not talking about the minutia of regulations and legislation. No, 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 no. Please. I'm talking about here's the law of the land. Fundamentally, here's what it is. It governs the entire world, the Code of Justinian, the canon, civil laws of the Church of Rome, which was the law of the Roman Empire. Here's what it is fundamentally, and here's how that differs from our common law. The laws of nature unwritten in the nature of creation and the laws of nature's God written, lex scripta, in the Bible. There are only two options for religion, law, and government in the world. There have never been more than two, and there never will. And you're either tending more toward the one and less toward the other all the time. Every nation and every person is. And there are no other options. I'm in good company when I say that. I can quote a lot of people smarter than me that have said that through the centuries. Even people that were fundamentally uh, wrongheaded recognize that much. There are only two possibilities. And if you have a different law, then you have a different lawgiver, a different God. Uh, and then, if you, then the true God, if you've got his law, his law comes in two volumes. The laws of nature, says our Declaration of 76, uh, William Blackstone tells us that's our common law, unwritten, lex non scripta, and the laws of nature's God is the second bo volume, says Blackstone, and that's the law written, God's law written from him. Both volumes are from him. One doesn't come from the other. Our common law is not based upon the Bible, but it agrees with the Bible. Why? Because it's from the same source. That's why. And it, we can see it. I was saying a while ago, uh, the Bible uses the laws of nature to teach us its own laws because they're consistent. They're from the same lawgiver. Uh, back to you, Roger. Um, excellent. Uh, I wanted to bring, we got a little, little time left here, not much. Uh, up to date here, Brent, I know you don't pay attention to the news too much, but I don't know how you could have missed this one. Um, I wanted to get your feel on the uh, indictments and the arraignment yesterday of uh, D.J. Trump as you call him. And uh, did you happen to see any video of Washington, D.C. when he went to that arraignment? No, but if you have a link and it's easy, drop it to me. I would want to see it, of course. 
the, yeah. the, the statement was there hadn't been that many people in Washington, D.C. since January the 6th, a couple of years ago. That's right. Now, I did hear that this indictment had to do with what he said at that speech, January the 6th. Yeah, and they took it They in the indictment. He said, let's peaceably and whatever go to the Capitol. They yeah. took out peacefully in the indictment. A lot of people that have run for office have been indicted for the same reason Trump is being indicted. Now, there are two possibilities, and I have friends that go both ways. Some people say, well, this is really indictment. Or some people say, well, Trump is in control of this, and this is an op to increase visibility. Well, in either case, in either case, much of the world thinks it's a true indictment. So let's go with that for a minute. All right. Uh, Because I don't understand what's all going on. But let's say it is an indictment. If it is truly an indictment, it's an Many people that have run for federal office have been indicted. I'm one of them. I was yes. indicted. I ran for U.S. Congress, and I was indicted. Uh, Senator from Alaska. What was that guy's name? I don't uh, remember. He Ted Stevens? Yeah, Stevens. He was indicted. Uh, Senator, neighboring to me, uh, Western District of Kentucky, uh, White, he was indicted by a grand jury when he was running for Congress. Tom DeLay was uh, the hammer, the, the minor- majority leader of Congress. He was indicted by a state court in texas that cost that went on for 10 years cost him 10 million dollars in legal fees in all of these cases uh george ryan governor of illinois right no crime committed he was indicted sent to prison for five years so uh this is this is the nature of the beast and this is the war and this is the territory and all they have to do like in stephen's case if uh accusation in in many people's minds, and most people's probably, equals guilt. There, if there's smoke, they say, there's fire. So if a grand jury indicts you, you're probably guilty. And they want to destroy your reputation. And Ted Stevens, he resigned. Uh, Tom DeLay, he had forced to resign. They just want to get rid of you. They exactly don't care right. how. They want to they taint you. you. They want to taint you. They want to taint you where you can't come back to. That's right. That's right. Um, and they, do well, I heard uh, I heard a really good interview uh, this week with Judge Napolitano uh, on this, who's a very very close friend of Trump's. Okay, right. And he said what they've done here is he said when I was in law school, the attorney client privilege was solid. There were no exceptions. They've added an exception to the attorney client privilege, and I don't remember what it is. Okay, it has to do with intent. All right. But they Uh leveraged that on Trump's lawyers and got in the conversations. One of the two lawyers took shorthand and the other one took meticulous notes and they've got all that stuff turned over. Yeah. And so that tells me there's something bogus at the bottom. And I, I tend to think that there's a strong possibility that uh, what some of my friends say, this is all a a political operation for Trump. Because things like that, uh, I just, I'm involved in a situation now where a lawyer involved with another client and they, they want records. And uh, I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to just turn it over to my U.S. attorney buddy. He used to be a U.S. attorney and have him deal with it. It's a federal case. That's not uncommon, but it, it's, it's wrong. I know those things, uh, it's, it's a matter of if you can't tell an attorney everything, he can't help you that much. Yep. And, and and you may be innocent. You may be guilty. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, 
there are things that you, the fifth amendment doesn't just cover it for the guilty. It's for the innocent mostly. And, and it covers all things that you have, that you, all information you have in your mind or on a piece of paper that could provide a link in a chain that could lead to evidence that would encourage a prosecutor to prosecute you. Now, do you know the judge they put, do you, do you know about the judge they've assigned this case to? What is What is it? She's a female, a black female from Jamaica, immigrated, appointed by Obama. I'm sure you're not surprised. And her and her husband are both these communist radicals. And the big sure. question that's coming up is, because she's in the D.C. Circuit, she's sat over a bunch of these January 6th cases and the previous cases with all of the Black Lives Matter Antifa stuff that she released those people. But the January 6th people, she's given higher sentences that outstrip the guidelines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now friends, I want to say to you, thank you, Roger, say to you, uh, smell the coffee. If God has incited you from the inside, get with the program that God has here. This is war. You're not going to defeat them with a political tool of some kind. That's not going to happen. This is war. And it's deep-seated war. And the only way you're going to be motivated and persist in what is true and be a useful useful tool is to commit yourself to the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God. And you cannot do that until you know something about it. I heard a great commentary, and I forget whether it was Colonel McGregor or whoever it was that was talking about the importance of this case and what really is important behind the scenes with Biden and all the corruption and Hunter and all that stuff. Where's the weak link Hunter's involvement in the bio labs and the Ukraine ties the deep state directly to it. Well, I'd say there's more than that, but that's one of them, of course, a very strong one, but, um, this is going to shake out the way God wants it to. And God is a, he is an 11th hour God. We see that persistently in the Bible and what he does is he, he plays with the useful idiots of the evil empire. Like a cat plays with mice. They think they're, Oh, we're doing this and we're doing that. And the Psalm chapter two yeah. says he who is in the heavens laughs. They're, the rats are headed for the rat hole right now. He just laughs, and at the right time, he just reaches down and crushes their skulls, and and he'll and God's people will begin to wonder, whoa, 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 and get on the edge of a nervous breakdown. Here, I give you an assignment, not you, Roger. Everybody listening, if you're prone and you want to learn something, go read the book, the prophet Hosea, in the Old Testament. Hosea, H O S E A. It's about a man. No, no, not Hosea. Well, that's a good one too. <laughs> they read that. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Funny name. Read the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet who was on the edge of a of a nervous unraveling. He was burning down. He was he was about to lose it. He kept saying, "God, why don't you do something? Do something! Do something!" And God said, uh, "Well, you really want me to do something?" He was waiting a long time. He said, "Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do." I'm going to bring the Babylonians down. They're going to wipe everybody out in, uh, of God's people in Israel. Everybody but my remnant. 
That's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, you read the book and you begin to see, because people call it the book, they call it from fear to faith. Well, that's okay. It was fear. It was about to get him. Yeah, that's true. But I like to say also that fear is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is believing the lie. So it's all a matter of faith. Either you believe the truth or you believe the lie. But if you move from believing the damnable lie to believing the truth, which is God's word, you, and it's all there, friends. The, our problems to this political mess and how to fight the polis, the politic, the political correctness, the evil empire is politics. That's what it is. Our common law is not politics. But if you read that book, you'll see what the remedy is to being on the ne- edge of a nervous breakdown. And that's where the devil wants us. He wants, and God brings us right up to the edge. And because he brings us to the edge and then he reaches in when he wants to, are we to trust him? That's what he wants. He wants you to trust him. Yep. He wants you to know and be his tool willingly while you're trusting his word. And he's telling you to do this. And the whole Christian world is saying, no, don't do that. No. Well, he's talking, he's, you get the Bible. He'll talk to you. He'll tell you what to do. Figure it out for yourself. Go to the book. Listen to me. Say, was well, Brent saying what's true? Well, go read some of it. See if what I'm saying is true. That's what the Bible orders you to do. Back to you, Roger. We're about to close out on the uh, platforms here and end another Friday show, another good show. with, You know, I've come to the conclusion it's almost impossible to do a bad show with you on board. <laughs> well, again, another nice thing to say, but Somebody said about what you and I have remembered. Oh, this gal lived out on the windy plains of East Colorado. And she wrote and said, Roger is a, like a, a match. And Brent, and he lights Brent's fuse and then Brent won't shut up. And then Brent lights Roger's fuse in reverse with yeah. something you said. You know, that's, well, yeah. that's well, really went the on. beauty. That's, finish, yeah. Yeah, that, that's this right. has been going on since the first show we ever did together 10 years ago or more. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah. we've laid our bodies down. We got to get off the server for the next guy. Yeah. See y'all tomorrow.